friend and welcome back to the out of the cave podcast with lisa schlossberg this is your girl lisa schlossberg and today it's just me today again we are going to talk about some really important things and i want to share with you some thoughts and ideas i have through the lens of sharing some more personal stories with you I want to go back and kind of explain some of what I've already talked about in more detail so that it actually makes sense why this matters to you. So it's not just my story, but now it's really, why does it matter? Where did I go wrong? And how can you not make a lot of the mistakes I made? How can you save yourself a lot of time and struggle along the healing journey by learning through what I've done and what I've been through? So In the last episode, that was just me, that we titled, You Are a Human, Not a Body. The reason that I wanted to kind of talk about it that way is because when we think of ourselves as a physical body, we tend to focus on our weight or shape or size or appearance. We define ourselves physically. So really what we're doing is objectifying ourselves. We see ourselves as a physical body, but not always more than that. So instead of thinking of ourselves that way, now we're thinking of ourselves as a human, which is we do have a physical component. Of course, we're living in our body, but we also have thoughts. We have like the mental component of us. We have feelings. We have the emotional component of us. We have a spiritual component And we have a social component. We're wired for connection. So there are all these other parts of us that are not just physical. And now, instead of just focusing on our weight and our body, now as we start to shift our understanding of ourselves from body to human, it means that we're opening up a conversation to talk about health, holistic health. So that includes our physical health, the things that we're eating and our activity and things like that, our sleep, hydration, all of that's important for physical health. But now we're expanding our understanding of ourselves as a human. So now thinking of health as kind of a holistic, the way that I think about it is a pie chart. If you were to split, just visualize a pie chart that's split into six different categories, Now we're viewing mental, emotional, spiritual, social, physical, and environmental health as our goal, let's say. So we're shifting from weight, shape, size, appearance into that pie chart of holistic health. That's what today is going to be about. Now, before I get started and share some of my stories with you, I do just want to say that when it comes to this conversation on weight and health and really just healing and how to take care of the human entity, (laughs) um, I try sometimes to be really perfectionistic about it. There's still that tendency in me to know everything and have it right. And that's really not my intention, especially today. What I want to do is really just share what I've been through and the fact that it's really taught me a lot and a lot of what I've learned through my experience can be applied to your experience, most likely. 
It doesn't mean I know everything and it doesn't mean that I'm an expert on all of this. It just means that I've lived through some stuff and I think it can really help you. So having said that, I want to go back to my story and what we've already talked about in terms of my weight loss and weight maintenance, IBS, all of those things. So when we talk about my story, my weight loss story specifically, from the lens of being a body and just seeing ourselves as physical, it all quote unquote went well. I was quote morbidly obese. I lost 150 pounds. I've maintained my weight. And so the kind of cultural narrative around that is that now we're done. That's it. It all went well. I achieved the goal and now it's over. So the question really (laughs) is actually now that you know the other side of that story, which is at the end of my weight loss, I was the least healthy and the least happy I'd ever been. Now I want to talk about how, when, where, and why did that happen that way? Why is it that we have this cultural narrative that we just have to get the weight off and then all our problems will be solved? And that's not actually true. How is that not true? Why is that not true? And at what point, where did it start to get really sticky for me? And ultimately, again, my goal is to really show, not just tell you, but show you through my experience how if we're focusing on the body, the weight, the shape, and the size, we're just we're not focusing on health and there's no way for us to be holistically healthy if we're not keeping our awareness expanded to all of the other parts of us. So as I'm saying this, it also occurs to me that this is for also the people who tend to have the belief that if I just lose weight, I'll be done. If I just get the weight off, I'll be fixed. Why is that not actually true? Why is focusing on weight loss actually doing more harm than good? Why is it that we only know how to solve this problem in a very temporary and immediate way, but we're not really clear on how to keep it sustainable and healthy? That's what we're talking about today. So to illustrate this point, I'm going to go back to my story and where I was when I was starting to lose weight. And as I've shared briefly, I was so focused on weight and weight loss that it was a very typical story in that sense. I started with Jenny Craig. I was eating the pre-packaged meals every day and that was the plan. And that on the physical dimension is really exactly how it happened for the first 80 to 100 pounds or so. And so physically, it was all taken care of. I like to refer to my experience on Jenny Craig as kind of like dieting for dummies because I didn't know anything about food. I had no consciousness of what I was putting into my body. And so it really just took care of it for me. They told me what to eat every day, and that's what I did. So I say that because physically, it was taken care of for me so that mentally and emotionally, I could be completely checked out. So it, you could see how in the beginning, I was, there was already this complete disconnection between mind and body. And for me, even though the weight loss was happening to my body, it was very much a mind game for me. I wasn't really focusing so much on mm, 
how should I say this? I wasn't focusing so much on the food. I wasn't thinking about the food. I wasn't connected to the food and I wasn't conscious of the food because it was taken care of for me. So I was mentally checked out in terms of what was going in and out of my body, but I was very mentally checked in to the numbers game. So I was aware of how many calories I was eating. I was aware of the calories in and calories out. I was aware of how many calories I was burning. But again, you could see how even though this was something that was happening to my body, it turned my brain into kind of a chronic calculator. It was like I was counting everything and I was constantly doing math around food, but food was just numbers. Food was quantified. Food was just mm, numbers. Food was numbers. And so I was so focused on my weight and the number on the scale that I was getting on at least once a day, but I was listening to my head and my brain. So as my weight loss went on, it was month after month after month that I wasn't paying attention to or honoring my body in terms of food and exercise and really at a certain point my whole lifestyle, I saw things as very black and white, very straightforward. Food was either good or bad, it was right or wrong. And every decision that I made, whether it was what I was going to eat or whether I was going to work out or anything like that, it was just, this is either going to help me move forward with this goal or this is going to push me backwards with this goal. So there was no room for hunger. There was no room for exhaustion. There was really no space for me to have any feelings about anything because I was just really dedicated and at the time right for me it was all very straightforward there was no doubt there was no confusion it was never like what do I eat it was always just very simple and straightforward I'm not going to eat that so it was really um, direct in that way and it went on for months that way and that's probably how I lost at least 80 to 100 pounds was just kind of turning my body off and the way that it felt to me was kind of like giving a megaphone to the voices in my head that told me to count everything. So at the time, I wasn't really living my life. I was just kind of going through the motions every day to make sure that the decisions I made were numerically correct and would get me to a place that was closer to more weight loss. Again, it was just that simple to me. And... The context being, just mentally, emotionally, that I was coming from a place where my entire childhood, I got really strong at denial. I got really strong at pretending I didn't feel feelings or pretending that I had control over my experience and my feelings. So weight loss was just an extension of that. Weight loss didn't actually change anything about that. It just perpetuated it. And so that's how I got through it was even if I had feelings, it was kind of like, it's not a big deal. It is what it is. I can handle it. And that's just the way I dealt with everything until that point and including that point. And that's how it happened was just force, discipline, quote unquote, willpower. I thought I had a lot of determination. I thought I was really strong. And that is how I lost a lot of weight. 
And so just to give you an example of what that looked like for me, I remember when my sophomore year of college at the University of Michigan is when I lost all this weight. And my sophomore year is when I lived in the sorority house. I was in Sigma Delta Ta at Michigan, and I lived in the house with about 60 to 70 other girls while I was losing all my weight. And I remember my mom sent us to the sorority house a big box of baked by Melissa cupcakes for, um, it was for Valentine's Day. So it was February of 2013. And if you know Baked by Melissa cupcakes, (laughs) they are about the size of like your thumbnail. They are so small. (laughs) They are bite-sized cupcakes and they are very, very delicious, but they're super tiny. And so uh, part of the reason Baked by Melissa cupcakes are so great is because then you could try all these different flavors and try all these different cupcakes, but they're so tiny. And so I remember when that showed up to the house and everyone in the kitchen, everyone was trying all the cupcakes and oh my God, Schloss's mom sent us cupcakes, great. And I didn't have any and I didn't even think about having one. And I remember, and I'm sharing this because I just want you to see like where my head was at at the time, that I remember being very almost confused about why was it such a big deal that I didn't have a cupcake? Everyone was in the kitchen like, oh, Schloss, your mom sent these cupcakes. How are you not going to even have one? Come on. And to me, it was just so like, why are you even asking me that question? You know that I'm trying to lose weight. You know that I'm on a weight loss journey. You know that it's going really well so far. (laughs) So why are you confused about why I'm not eating a cupcake? It's not part of the plan. It's not one of the good foods. It's not going to help me toward my goal. And it's just that simple. So that's just mentally where I was with my weight loss for, I would say, at least a year. Just going through the motions, forcing myself through it, and not having any awareness of how much denial I was in of my feelings and how it really felt for me to go through it. But it was about a month or so before that happened when I remember I went home for, it was winter break of my sophomore year of college. And I remember being out to dinner with my parents and explaining to them that I was experiencing something really strange where now when I stood up, I was getting dizzy and I was getting kind of lightheaded. And I was having this experience that I've never had before in my life where when I stood up from sitting down, I would see all these black spots and I felt sometimes like I was kind of going to faint and I had never, ever, ever, ever in my life understood before that point when people used to mention or reference like, oh, I stood up too fast. Never in my life as a child did I understand what that meant. I never had an experience of standing up too fast. (laughs) But then at a certain point, I was starting to collect these symptoms and I remember telling my parents And the first thing that we did when I started to notice this kind of dizziness and fatigue was go to my pediatrician. So again, just context, I started my weight loss and my diet again after my freshman year of 
college. And so that was May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. So this isn't about after eight-ish months of rapid and extreme weight loss. And so my body has changed. And so I go to the pediatrician and I explain to the pediatrician what's going on with me. And he suggested that I add salt. His conclusion was that it must be a sodium issue and I probably need to be eating more salt and to add some salt into my diet. And when I do that, it should work. It should stabilize and I should be feeling better. And that probably needless to say, did not happen. That did not help at all. Um, and then a few months went by and I was still, I was still not doing well. And actually a lot of these symptoms were getting worse. So I went to my parents' doctor and I figured, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not, I'm not there for a pediatrician anymore. I'm 20 years old at this point. So now I'm, I'm moving into, okay, let's go to the adult doctor. He'll have some answers for me. And what I heard there was that this is most likely related to the massive amount of weight that I've lost over the last, you know, almost year. And I was given the directions to just maintain my weight for a bit and it'll stabilize. Like once the weight loss isn't so extreme and it's not so fast, my body will come back. And then when that didn't really help or happen... Mostly because I think I was still not open to the idea of not losing weight. I still was worsening with the symptoms. And what that meant was now it wasn't just the dizziness and the fatigue and the black spots when I stood up. But it was also my hair was falling out and I was freezing. I was freezing all the time. There's so many pictures of me sophomore year of college just bundled up. And, and when I say freezing, I mean like I could not go study in the library because I was too cold if I wasn't like under blankets drinking tea. I was so frigid and I was in Michigan. <laughs> that didn't help. But so I was, I was worsening with all of these symptoms holistically. And toward the end of the year, I went to an OBGYN and I remember she said to me, that I had just lost so much weight that it was almost like I had had weight loss surgery. So at this point now, I've lost about 140, 150 pounds. And the OBGYN explains to me that when she sees patients who have lost this much weight this fast because of weight loss surgery, she has to tell them not to try to get pregnant within at least a year because the body is still going through such a transition, such an adjustment that, you know, the change was really, really dramatic and it happened very rapidly. So at the very least, just don't try to get pregnant. And I was like, that's not a concern right now. But um, it was very telling to me. It was very eye-opening that I, my body was going through an experience as if I had surgery. And I didn't have surgery. I just was doing it to myself. I had put myself through such an extreme and such a rapid experience of weight loss that it was as if I had surgery. So that was the information I got from the OBGYN. And it kind of followed all of everything I heard before around just keep your weight stable and your body will, you know, come back to you and it'll be okay. And finally, I went to an endocrinologist. And the endocrinologist, I 
will honestly never forget because at this point I had spent almost a full, it was about a full year in weight loss from May to May. Now sophomore year is over and my symptoms are just getting worse. And I went to this endocrinologist and he's doing all these tests to make sure my hormones are okay, my thyroid is on point and all of those things. And I remember he was at a certain point, he was shining the flashlight in my eyes. And I remember I was kind of like, look, I was darting my eyes all around the room. And I said to him, like, I see them. I see them right now. Those black spots that I was telling you about, I'm seeing them everywhere now. So, you know, when my eyes are over here, they're over here. And then I dart my eyes over there and they're over there. And I see these black spots everywhere. And I remember he asked me this question and he goes, so let me get this straight. How is it that you feel so bad all the time, like the dizziness and the fatigue and you're seeing spots, but you still manage to go to the gym every day? Like, how are you doing that? And I remember saying to him very innocently, you do what you got to do. Again, I didn't understand that there was a mental, emotional part of me. I didn't understand that there was anything wrong with my approach. I didn't understand that there was anything not great or impressive or powerful about the way that I was doing things. And so it was kind of a moment of pride for me at the time when he said, you know, how are you doing this to yourself? And I just thought, well, because I have an incredible amount of willpower. <laughs> like, that's how I'm doing it. How am I doing this to myself? Because I'm so strong, you know? Like, don't you understand? And that's, that's what I remember about that period of time where in hindsight, what I now know is that I was waving probably the biggest and most obvious red flag of an eating disorder to four different doctors a pediatrician, my parents' doctor, an OBGYN, and an endocrinologist. So all different, all different kinds of doctors. And they all saw the same thing. That is, congratulations. This is the healthiest you've ever been. All four of them agreed that because I had the weight off my body now, I was in a much better place than I was before. And that all I had to do was just kind of stick around and maintain it and everything else would be okay. The fatigue and the dizziness would go away. The constipation and the cold would go away. All of those things would just go away. And congratulations, because I've made it. I made it and my weight chart is finally reversing itself. And instead of a steady climb up on the piece of paper, it's now a steady climb down. And I did it. And congratulations. And that, that is what I remember about sophomore year and the truth of what was going on kind of behind the scenes of just losing a lot of weight really fast. And now again, just another kind of story to illustrate what this was like for me. On the physical dimension, those were the symptoms I was experiencing. But I also remember so vividly what it was like for me who was a perfectionistic A-plus student who was striving for a 4.0, 
obviously. I remember the end of finals week or the end of the semester. I remember finals week 2013 so well because, oh my God, this, it just, oh my God. (laughs) I feel this so much when I say this. I remember when I was sitting in the library in layers and layers and layers. (laughs) I was bundled up in my winter coat at the library trying so desperately to study and prepare for finals and I remember one night specifically I went down to the lobby of the library and I called my mom and I remember just crying and crying to her and saying I don't know what's wrong with me and I don't know what's wrong with my brain I don't know why it's not working I can't remember anything I can't, I can't remember anything. I can't study. I can't memorize. I can't, my brain isn't working and I don't know how to turn it on. Like I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying and I don't know why I can't think or retain anything that I'm reading. And it was so hard because I was trying so hard. And there was really nothing that I could do because I was so underfed and I was so malnourished that my brain just literally could not function. It couldn't operate. It couldn't remember. It couldn't deduce. It couldn't critically think. It it didn't have enough calories to do that. And I was really expecting myself to do the impossible, which was get straight A's on an empty stomach. And, and I was trying to do that all semester, but it was just so painful when I remember experiencing kind of the culmination of all of it during finals week. And I do remember that that one semester, because this was not lost on me, even at graduation, when I saw my transcript, that the end of that semester was the only semester at Michigan that I didn't have straight A's because that was, I couldn't think. I just, my brain couldn't do it. And so it wasn't just, right, it's like, what's going to get your attention? When it came to, um, you know, feeling tempted around foods, I was so in denial of that. When it came to feeling stressed out about losing the weight or maintaining the weight, I was so in denial of that. But then when it started to get in the way of me being able to achieve and do good and get the dopamine hit of a straight A report card. <laughs> when that started being sacrificed, now I was really paying attention. And that was part of the motivation for me to go see those doctors because something was not right. And I was not going to do junior year the same way again. But I share all of this with you because the truth is at the time, I just kind of viewed myself as like a soldier in battle. And yeah, it was hard. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. Yeah, it was a struggle. But you do what you got to do. I was just doing what I had to do. And it was just all, all, all ultimately that simple to me. Now, the reason I think it's important to share all of this is because what was happening for me, not consciously, but certainly, was that I was starting to realize and really my subconscious brain was starting to piece together that the more I could deny, reject, 
minimize and disconnect from the feelings and sensations in my body, the more successful I could be at losing weight. So the more I could deny hunger, the more successful I was. The more I could deny exhaustion, the more successful I was. The more I could deny fear and stress and pain and heartache, restriction, the more I could deny, deny, deny the truth of my experience, the more I got dopamine, the more I got reward, admiration, positive attention, praise. So now the girl who used to be 300 pounds in high school is being showered with praise and reward and admiration, not just in general, but now for my body and what I look like, the thing that would have previously received the opposite reaction. So what started to happen to me was that it wasn't a conscious choice to choose attachment over authenticity. So what was happening here with my weight loss was that the more I could deny how bad it felt to me on the inside, the more I got to receive the external hit ultimately. It's a hit like a drug, like any other drug. And so it wasn't a conscious decision, but this is exactly how, because we are conditioned to choose attachment over authenticity for the sake of survival, that's exactly what it was, what it turned into. And so again, wasn't intentional, wasn't on purpose, but it was a decision to keep neglecting and abusing myself for the sake of continuing to receive external validation and approval. And the reason I want to share this with you is because it also goes back to that concept of homeostatic versus hedonic hunger. So homeostatic, we could say, is physical and hedonic being emotional. But ultimately, my body was hungry. My body was actually starving and malnourished. So my body was hungry and tired, etc. meaning I had homeostatic hunger. I was physically hungry. But at that point, my brain learned based on my conscious input about the food and the eating and the calories and safety, conscious and not conscious input, that food and eating and feeling my feelings and getting my needs met was not safe. So what was going on here was that because my brain is wired for survival, not thrival, it's wired for keeping me safe, not keeping me happy. Because my brain is wired for survival, the hedonic associations around food, which is really to say the emotional relationship around food, overpowered the physical one. So even though my body was physically hungry and starved and malnourished, this is the power of the brain. This is the power of thinking that food and eating and body and weight and size are all wrapped up in how safe we are is that then we get to a point where we may be sacrificing, neglecting, and abusing ourselves because it feels better to get that hit from outside. And ultimately what that means is our hedonic signals around food are stronger than our physical homeostatic ones, which we know and talked about in that last episode. And this is, again, exactly why we could apply this on the overeating side of the spectrum, so to speak, as well as the undereating side of the spectrum. That is, if you have someone whose body is physically full, they don't have homeostatic hunger. They don't need more food physically. But sometimes we keep eating for hedonic reasons, 
because we have emotional hunger. But the same is true here where you could have someone who's physically hungry but doesn't eat because it doesn't feel safe. So the same reason that we overeat, it doesn't feel safe to not do that, is the same reason we undereat. It doesn't feel safe to not do that either. They just manifest differently in different people and at different times. And now just another kind of snapshot of what my life looked like in the summer of 2013 that I want to share with you because, again, I think it really illustrates the way that at a certain point, based on the cultural narrative that we've internalized as well as our own conscious input, the brain learns that our body weight, shape, and size is related to our safety and survival. The truth is that it isn't, but it, I think it's important to understand how honestly innocent this is because it's all trying to protect us. So the summer of 2013, I had an internship. I was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I had an internship in downtown Detroit. And so every morning looked the same for me. I would wake up basically at the crack of dawn and I would put my egg whites in the microwave. I think that's how I did it at the time. I basically packed the same breakfast, lunch every single day, um, added some fruits and maybe a bag of vegetables or something. But I was eating um, in the most controlled and restrictive way that I probably could. And every morning I would get in the car and I would drive to my internship. But before I would go to my internship, I would go to the gym attached to the same building. And so I would sit in the car. And what I remember so much about this period of time is that I would sit in the car on the way to work. And if I hit traffic, which didn't happen that often because I was driving pretty early in the morning. But if I hit traffic going into the city... And I would sit there for like two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. The experience that I had was that I would be sitting in traffic and I would count how many minutes I was sitting in traffic, which was how many minutes I wasn't going to be able to be on the Stairmaster before I had to go to work. And then I would do the math around how many calories that is that I'm not going to burn and what that means in terms of what I will or will not eat later in the day. And that thought spiral would basically follow me all day long, sometimes for more than a day. And it wouldn't matter what I was doing or where I was going or who I was with. It was that tape playing in my head all day of the amount of minutes that I sat in traffic that morning and how many calories that meant I couldn't eat. And it was a tape playing fear all day long. And the reason that I'm sharing this is because what I understand now is the reason that my brain was operating that way, the reason that I was sitting in traffic and the only thing that was going through my head was how many calories I wasn't going to be able to burn. The reason that it was such an illogical and dramatic and scared representation of reality is because I wasn't seeing reality. My brain was under the impression that if I didn't spend those minutes on the Stairmaster and I didn't burn that many calories that I was not safe. And that's what it felt like. And it's 
it's emotional just talking about it, not just because of the truth of what that felt like, but because of the way that we demonize ourselves for having that experience. And the truth is that it's so innocent and we really, really are just trying our best. And again, at a certain point, based on the culture and based on our brain science, we learned that the calories we eat has something to do with our safety and survival and it just doesn't. So it's not our fault that we thought that. It's not our fault that we believed that. It's not our fault that we felt that. I know it's not my fault that I felt that. So on one hand, it's just my story demonstrating how really all manifestations of disordered eating as well as body image become wrapped up in safety. And on the other hand, how a lot of the healing can come from recognizing the truth that is, it isn't though. It isn't. Our body image, weight, shape, and size, it may make us uncomfortable at times, but it doesn't actually make us unsafe. And if you just think about it, if you think of yourself as a body and you are, for example, counting calories with the energy of life or death, your brain is going to believe you. Your brain is going to believe that this thing that you're treating like life and death really is life and death. So that when you lose control over it or it's not going well, it feels like you're literally going to die. But that's why it is so unbelievably important that we shift our understanding of ourselves from a body to a human. Because yes, as a human Maybe your body, your body image, your eating habits, your weight, your size, all of those things, maybe they make you feel uncomfortable. Maybe they do. And that's okay because it's not life or death. Your discomfort is not going to kill you. The feelings that you feel about your body, weight, shape, or size, they're not going to end your life. And what you're eating and what you weigh, it's not going to be the end of you. That's what happens when we shift our understanding of ourselves from body to human. We're really doing ourselves a huge favor because what we're doing is telling the truth. So as I mentioned in previous episodes, this is the point where a nutritionist came into my life and I was, I had been counting every single calorie I ate. I was barely eating all of that. And that is when a nutritionist, it was to no thanks to all of the doctors that I had visited it was a nutritionist who finally came into my life and helped me balance things out, eat more, exercise less, restore my body, get my period again, and in a lot of ways, the rest is history. But because there are still millions of us in the world focusing on their weight, and for valid reasons, but are still kind of getting nowhere, I want this episode to be more about what we can learn from this and how to do it differently. So for the remainder of this episode, I want to talk to you about health over weight and what it actually means to have a health mindset over a weight mindset so that you can actually treat yourself like a human being and not continue objectifying yourself as a body, consciously or not, intentionally or not. 
So the way that I think about and teach health is, as I shared earlier in this episode, just imagine a pie chart that split those six different ways. So you have your physical health, and the important things for your physical health are are the food that you're eating, the exercise that you're doing, getting sleep, making sure you're hydrated, and sunlight. All of those things are important for the physical body that you're in. And so it's not about not paying any attention to your body or nutrition or any of those things. It's just not paying all of your attention to those things. So then we have our mental, the thoughts going through our head, the emotional part, the feelings that we're feeling, the spiritual component, being connected to something bigger, being larger than a physical being, the social component of us. So our social life, do we feel connected Do we have safe relationships where we can really be ourselves? And then environmental health. So all of the other things that come in and out of your life is part of your environmental health. And that is just an overview of how we can think about health. A health mindset is expanded, holistic. It includes your thoughts and feelings. And most importantly, it incorporates and allows for your authentic expression. Health is, in a word, authenticity. Now, the other thing that I want to clarify is what does it mean when I talk about weight? So I say health versus weight. What does it mean? Well, if health is that pie chart and health is thinking of ourselves as the physical and the more than physical, weight is obviously the number on the scale But it's also our BMI, so our body mass index, the goal weight that may or may not have been given to us by someone else, the preoccupation with calories, with macros, with steps, with points, the tracking, measuring, weighing, calculating, all of that to me falls under the weight category. And ultimately to me, weight The way that you know you're in a weight mindset is really any time you're trying to quantify the unquantifiable human experience. Any time, right, food, think about food. (laughs) Food is, activates our senses. Food is smell. Food is taste. Food is feelings. Food is so many things. But when you're in a weight mindset, food is numbers. Food is math. Food is a formula. Food is a calculation. So that's how you know you're in a weight mindset. And the reason that it's important to really make a distinction between those two is because by focusing on our weight, we can sacrifice our health. Just like my story and just like what I've been through, we can be neglectful of ourselves, if not straight up abusive toward ourselves, if we're not considering how it feels inside. If we're not being authentic and we're not telling the truth about what it feels like and the human experience of the person going through it, we're not telling the truth and ultimately we're sacrificing our health. And one of the biggest kind of arguments that I can make around why it is important for us to be focusing on our health over our weight is if we isolate the BMI conversation. So if we just talk about the body mass index for a moment, I think it really captures how just ineffective and unhelpful 
a weight mindset actually is. So overall, our BMIs, our bas- our, <laughs> our body mass index, and what that means is it's our weight divided by our height. So it's a number that if you have ever gone to the doctor and your doctor says to you that you are overweight or underweight, well, where do they get that from? Like, what are they basing that off of? Where do those numbers come from? What's that chart? It's the BMI chart and they're basing it off of your BMI. So part of the reason that it's important, I think, just to be educated about this is because this is still the standard in the medical model. So when you go to doctors or you have doctors communicate amongst each other, they're sharing your BMI as part of your medical chart. And that's, that is just the standard. That is what we use as a measurement in the medical model today. So on one hand, you know, just to be clear that that is how the medical model works and that that number, that formula and that chart is where a lot of our weight statistics and standardization comes from. Now, having said that, it's also, I think, important for you to understand why this doesn't really work or rather why it doesn't really serve us. If we're trying to look at our holistic health and treat ourselves like humans, why BMI just really doesn't align with that. And the reason in part is because even though it does consider our weight and our height, it doesn't take into consideration our body composition. So it's not considering where that weight comes from. And what that means is that you could have 100 pounds of muscle or you could have 100 pounds of fat, but for the BMI, they're both going to be divided by the height and spit out the same number. So we actually don't know if someone, we can't tell someone's health based on their BMI. We can't even tell someone's physical health based off their BMI, but it's still, again, the standard in the medical model today. And an example that I like to share, because it was so mind-blowing to me at the time when I was learning all of this, is just the example of Arnold Schwarzenegger. When Arnold Schwarzenegger was in prime shape and he was Mr. Olympia, so he was all muscle he would be on the BMI chart considered morbidly obese because he was very heavy. Muscle is heavy. He weighed a lot. So if you take Arnold Schwarzenegger while he's shredded with muscle and then take his weight and divide it by his height, you have a very high BMI, which according to Arnold Schwarzenegger's doctors would mean that he is morbidly obese. So it's an example that is a bit extreme but also true and helps us see that if you're just defining yourself and especially your health by this number, it's not going to really capture the picture for you. And to me, it's kind of funny to just know that the BMI formula was devised in the 1830s by a Belgian astronomer and mathematician. So at no point was this really designed for the medical model to use it the way that it is. And As of 2016, we have some research suggesting that weight equals health was incorrect for at least 75 million Americans. What we know is that 54 million Americans have been classed as overweight or obese, but cardiometabolic measures show that they were healthy. Another 21 million were classed as normal in terms of BMI, 
but we're actually unhealthy. So the point here is that even though in the 1830s, an astronomer and mathematician came up with this formula for BMI, now that we've lived a couple hundred years and we're figuring out that this actually isn't the best way and it's not a really good approach for you know complicated humans, we're doing more research on what is the connection between weight and health and actually is that even true? And what we're finding is that a lot of or millions of Americans have been classed as overweight or obese based on that BMI, based on their number, but they're actually healthy. Whereas another 21 million were classed as normal in terms of the BMI. So think about the people you know, maybe yourself, that are at a normal weight, but don't actually have healthy markers internally. So it's important that we understand this just because there are ways for us to focus on our health and eat healthy food and do regular movement and get sunlight and sleep and water and all of those things focusing on our physical health while not focusing on our weight, not objectifying ourselves as a physical being and stepping on the scale to define how good we're doing. And the other thing that I think is really important about this is that by focusing on our holistic health, which includes our physical health, we're not defining ourselves by a number, which is actually really important because it's just a more accurate representation of the human being that you are. So thinking this way, and being self-aware in this way helps you get closer to your truth. And because so much of the root here of our relationship with food is actually coming back to that conversation of attachment versus authenticity, this matters a lot. It matters that you're thinking of yourself in a way that is representative of your truth. And your truth is that health is a pie chart. Your truth is that there's all these different parts of you, some that you can see and some that you can't. So rejecting the BMI chart is actually just helping you get closer to your own authenticity. And it also just feels important to add on that note that very often this is where we start to feel or think or worry about, but what about my physical health? I have to focus on my weight for the sake of my health. And to that, what I can say is, Trust me, I thought so too. And the truth is, I believe, the whole I have to focus on my weight for the sake of my health thing is not true. If you're focusing on your health, including your physical health, you won't have a weight issue that you need to focus on. It's a limiting and dysfunctional belief that you have to focus on your weight for the sake of your health. You may have been taught that and you may have believed that, and you may have practiced that. You may have embodied it for years, decades. And that's really valid because, again, you were probably taught that. I certainly was. The problem is, though, it's not true and it's outdated. But also, you don't have to take my word for it. Just consider your own experience. Has this belief helped you? Is it working for you? Has it contributed to improving your health? Has it contributed to improving your diet, your eating habits, your quality of life, your overall well-being? Just get curious. If there's a belief that you want to hold on to, that is, I have to focus on my weight for the sake of my health, just look at how that's worked for you. Is it serving you? And if so, then you can totally hang on to that and keep doing that. 
But if you're finding that you keep telling yourself you have to focus on your weight for the sake of your health and it actually hasn't helped you achieve the goal, the outcome, or the life that you want, it's just an invitation to consider thinking about it in a different way to changing the belief systems and really releasing what isn't serving you. That is the belief that you have to focus on your weight. That's not actually true. And furthermore, on this point, I like the quote here. That is the most damaging phrase in our language is it's always been done that way. If you consider your experience and this belief that you have to focus on your weight isn't actually working, Like if you look at the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years of your life and that belief hasn't actually helped you achieve health or happiness or healing and you're still attached to it because this is the way it is, you're actually perpetuating that habit of choosing attachment over authenticity. You're going with what your doctor told you over how your body feels and what your life experience suggests. You're putting the outside opinion over your own truth and reality. So again, it's just an invitation to consider that if you keep telling yourself it is absolutely necessary for you to focus on the number, just look at that because that feels and sounds like attachment and it's not actually true. You are safe to focus on your holistic health, your quality of life, and your overall well-being over the number on the scale your shape, and your appearance. You are. That's just the truth. You are safe to focus on your health over your weight. And if it doesn't feel that way, that's okay. It's valid. You've been taught, actually, that you're not safe to do that. So just look at that and be aware of that because your job now is telling the truth. Your job now is telling the truth. And the truth is that you are safe to take care of your health Now, having said that, just like anything else, if you're trying to change your perspective, if you're trying to shift your belief system, something that can be really supportive is support and connection and not being alone in it. So A, if you're interested in learning more about any of this research about health overweight, please check out Health at Every Size. They are doing so much research in this area and they've done really, really beautiful work around proving that we can focus on our health and have it be much more effective and holistic and well-rounded for us as humans than focusing on our weight. So health at every size, the Hayes community is really trailblazing with all of this research. So if you're interested in learning more about that, please check them out. And another suggestion I have for you, if this resonates, is to work with or find a Hayes practitioner or a doctor that treats you like a human and not a doctor or not a number, sorry. Um, If you can find a Hayes practitioner by looking online, it is important that you feel seen and heard and safe with your healthcare providers. And if you don't, right now with the practitioners or doctors that you're working with, it's not because you're broken. It's because the system is broken and you exist within it. So if you have only had the experience of having doctors who blame you for your weight, put you on a scale, make it all about the number, you have the power and the freedom to change doctors. 
I think a lot of the time when it comes to this conversation, we forget that you can fire your doctor. Go find another one. If that's really a place where you're not feeling safe and seen and heard as a human being. If you're being objectified by someone that's working with you, find a different provider. And so in part, I say that and I know that that is sometimes a privilege that not all of us have. And we don't really always have that freedom to do that. And so it's just again about the awareness that you do have power. And so even if that means that you go into a doctor's office, and I've had this conversation with so many of my clients now, when you go into a doctor's office and they just put you on a scale, really, I would I can't put a percentage on this because I'm not within the medical model, but there is a huge percentage of the time, it's just not necessary. Our doctors actually don't need to know our weight the way that they say they do or sometimes imply. So it's also just thinking in that way that you are a human and you have power so if a doctor says to you to get on the scale you can kindly respectfully say no I don't want to be weighed today I'm choosing to not be weighed at my doctor's appointment today you have the power to do that and unless your doctor has a medical necessary reason that they have to check your weight most likely what they will do is say, okay, great. Thank you for letting me know. And that's the end of it. So just remember that you also have the option of getting on the scale with your eyes closed. You have the option of getting on the scale backwards. You have the option. So if you want to go to a doctor and not feel objectified and defined by your body weight, shape, and size, don't allow that kind of treatment for yourself. This is what it means really to start telling the truth and living authentically is if getting on the scale at your doctor's office doesn't feel good and doesn't feel safe to you, don't do it. And that's you choosing authenticity over attachment. That's you choosing to say, actually, this is how this feels for me. So even though you're telling me to attachment, I'm not going to authenticity, boundaries, truth telling, health. And that is where this conversation really is going to go and really where it all began. That living a healthy lifestyle truly is living a lifestyle of authenticity and of truth. Telling the truth to yourself of what's going on inside and sharing that truth with others. That is the lifestyle change, again, that we're looking for. The lifestyle change we're looking for is going from attachment to authenticity So when it comes to the definition of healthy and the definition of unhealthy, obviously it's more than just the food you're eating and the exercise you're doing because you can, like me, eat all the clean food and do all the working out and still not be healthy. To me, the real definition of health that we want to pay attention to so that we can do this in a sustainable, healthy, and connected way is living authentically embodying authenticity so you're being aware of your thoughts you're embodying your feelings etc understanding that you are a messy complicated multi-dimensional human being that is health because when you are living a lifestyle where you're constantly as i call it releasing the valve aka you're creating time and space for thoughts and feelings and sensations you're actually allowing the emotional energy to move through you and be released 
when we're thinking of ourselves and honoring ourselves as more than just a body, the emotional reservoir within us doesn't overflow. So just remember that the overwhelming and uncomfortable feelings of being a full human rather than a body, those aren't the problem. That's not the issue. It's when we're not feeling those things that result in disordered eating or chronic pain or anything else. So also just notice the cycle that we focus on our body and weight, which means we can ignore or neglect our feelings and vulnerability, which means we're repressing our emotions. And then ultimately, we're focusing on our body and weight again. And focusing on the body and weight means we're ignoring and suppressing our emotions. And the more we repress our emotions, the more we want to focus on our body and our weight. So what we do in this cycle is when we have to be authentic and actually express it, we don't have to eat food or restrict food to cope with that overflowing emotional reservoir of unfelt feelings. When we're viewing and living like real holistic humans, not just physical bodies, we really don't have that buildup, that overflow of repressed emotions. And our life sees the freedom and peace that ultimately we're looking for when we feel connected and aligned with ourselves. So I hope now it's clear that the reason that I wasn't quote unquote healthy at 300 pounds and still wasn't healthy at half the size was because at no point I was living authentically or connected to my truth. And because I was so disconnected from the truth that lived within me, I used eating food and then I used restricting food to cope with the anxiety and the stress of living in a state of disconnection from myself and my reality. The anxiety and stress of not telling the truth, not owning it, not being honest and not being seen and heard in my authentic expression is the root of why food and eating, restricting and dieting happened the way they happened at all. The root was that I was stuffing myself, thoughts, feelings, experience down. The result is the struggle with food, eating, dieting, and weight loss. So my hope is that after today, it's clear why viewing ourselves as a body and focusing on our weight is never going to serve us holistically the way that viewing ourselves as a human and thinking about our health will. Next time, I want to talk a little bit more about this lifestyle of authenticity. What does it mean to actually be telling the truth and be connected and embodied in your truth? And why is it that if we're not doing that, we might see the result on the physical dimension? Why is it that if we're not connected to our truth or being honest and authentic, it might turn into disordered eating, body image, and weight gain? So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And please, please, I really mean it. If you have any questions, requests, need anything from me, want to talk more about any of this content, please feel free to email me, lisa at lisaschlossberg.com. And just another reminder, if this content is resonating with you, please come join my monthly membership where we can do a live call together twice a month. If you'd like to read a little bit more about that and some of the resources that are included in the monthly membership, please just go read on the website at outofthecave.health. I will see you next time and I hope you have an amazing week.